0: Welcome to the Select Radio Podcast, brought to you by Select International, a PSI company. I'm Amber Tipton, and I am your host. I'm here with some fun selectors, as we'll call them, Select International employees, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves and tell us a little about their background and what they do. First, we have with us today Claire McHugh. She's our digital marketing manager here. Say hi, Claire. Hi, guys. And then uh, we have Dr. Ted Kinney in the office. Ted, can you tell us your title and uh, what you do here at Select?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm the VP of Research and Development, and I lead a team of amazing psychologists who do amazing research and teach me things every day, and I look forward to our discussion today.
0: I'm looking forward to it, too. Also, in the studio, as we call it, it's really a library, but in the library we have with us Dr. Allie Bessel. Allie, tell us uh, a little bit about what you do here at Select and uh, your title.
2: Yeah, I'm Allie. I'm a senior research consultant on TED's team at Select, so part of the R&D team. Um, We do the development of the assessments that we uh, supply to our clients, and I do a lot of the validation work to make sure they're working and predicting job performance.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So today, our topic has something to do with one of our snacks. We have two snacks today. We're going to talk about turnover. So we're eating cherry turnovers. And also because Ted is a meat person. Ted's the king of jerky. The king of meat. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> I bought some... Um, what a bacon jerky, which I've never had. So have you had bacon jerky before, Ted? Of course I've had Of bacon course. Jerky. I'm of the course.
1: king of jerky, apparently. <laughs> As of today. And going
0: forward, <laughs> I am the king, the of, king jer- of jerky. I have never had it, so I'm pretty excited. Alright, let's just bust it open. Let's
1: do it. I like the turnover <laughs> snack. That's a
0: yeah, that's I, pretty witty. I had um delusions of grandeur and I thought I was going to actually make turnovers. And then I was at the store yesterday, and I saw them already in the bakery department. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to happy hour instead of baking turnovers." Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. All right, Allie.
1: Do you have any interest in eating bacon jerky at all? Something it that. doesn't
0: sound terrible, but yeah. it looks like bacon. it just looks like regular bacon. Yeah, I have a lot of interest in eating <laughs> or bacon jerky.
1: I one time had caffeinated jerky. Ooh. It was terrible. <laughs> it was not good at all like
0: was it just like coffee infused beef
1: it was not only coffee or caffeinated jerky it was caffeinated turkey jerky <laughs> and it was called turkey jerky oh i
0: have had that you know it's caffeinated
1: i yeah yeah it's got like i don't know caffeine dust or something <laughs> on it. don't really know what that
0: is but. oh all right, we're ripping paper towels, guys. That's what those weird noises are. All right, is everybody ready? Oh, you already oh, did it. Um, <laughs> you know,
1: just stick a piece of bacon in my hand. I'm not waiting.
0: I mean, it's really just like it's bacon. chewy bacon. That's yeah. mm-hmm. not, I mean, it's good. It's no, with bet. a lot of
1: artificial preservatives. For sure. Yeah.
0: And definitely, it's smoky. They super just put smoky. bacon in that
2: bag. I'm mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yeah. I bet if you had that turnover, is it apple? it's cherry cherry. Say it would be good if it was apple smoked apple and the bacon together but cherry I don't know
1: about that didn't Burger King have a shake with bacon in it a couple years ago
0: maybe I think they did I mean that sounds reasonable
1: I pretty much know that they did because
2: you
0: have it well that was pretty good Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: um, are you gonna no I didn't think so Ted's not going to partake in these cherry turnovers, but I'm going to take the smallest one, I think.
1: While you're eating turnovers, I'm going to eat bacon.
0: Okay, now that we've, we're have we into this snack and we're eating turnovers, let's uh, start talking about turnover. Um, Ted and Allie are both, I would call you turnover experts. Thank you. <laughs> Do you want to talk about, um, I mean, not really what turnover is, because I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but maybe the different types of turnover?
2: Yeah. So there's um, a few different types of turnover. One of the distinctions is voluntary versus involuntary turnover. Um, Involuntary is when someone doesn't want to turn over or leave the organization, so cases where they're fired. And then voluntary is when they decide themselves that they want to withdraw from the organization. So the one that we focus on primarily is The voluntary because that's the kind that most organizations would like to prevent. And then there's also um, another distinction that's functional and dysfunctional turnover. So within voluntary or involuntary really, but if someone who leaves is a poor performer, it would be considered functional for the organization because they're getting rid of someone who uh, isn't really benefiting the company. And then when you're losing top talent or top performers, that's dysfunctional turnover. So again, we focus on that dysfunctional turnover because we want to avoid losing our top talent.
1: Very well <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think as we talk and we go through, we'll talk about how assessments might predict different types of turnover differently and how to think about different types of turnover and uh, you know, what they might mean for an organization, particularly uh, as it relates to voluntary and involuntary.
0: Why do we care so much about turnover?
1: It costs us money. So why do we care about any organizational problem? Uh, you know, one, of course, is that psychologists were very concerned about the well-being of people. But really, ultimately, we care about organizational problems because they cost our clients money. And we try to work with them to come up with solutions that are going to either create savings or generate more revenue for those clients. In the case of turnover, it you know, talent is the number one expense on a lot of organizations' balance sheets. Uh, and so when you lose talent, it just creates a huge impact on that organization's bottom line. So we care about turnover because it's really, really expensive to organizations.
0: Right. And I have a, a I don't know, I, I read this in one of your slide decks in my you know preparation that I did for this. It said uh, it costs one and a half to two and a half times total compensation? Is that what, is that the statistic that you have there?
1: I'd use the term statistic in air quotes.
0: (laughs) Fact, how about that? Is that the fact that you have? Definitely not the fact. So
1: (laughs) if I, so I I think, you know, I, I I think that's an estimate that I, I say a lot and uh, you know, it's, it's an estimate that sometimes I, it reminds me of a very frustrating time in my life when I really tried to calculate the empirical cost of turnover. And it, you, it, it's sort of like if you envision like a goodwill hunting situation where uh, somebody's in a, you know, a, a classroom at a chalkboard, working through algorithms and formulas and stuff and just never getting the solution. Uh, that was kind of my experience with the cost of turnover. I created a bunch of different calculators. I created a bunch of different inputs into the equation, and this goes back five, ten years where I've been doing this research, and every time I would get to the end, I'd look at it, and I'd say, well, that's two times total compensation. Every time, no matter what I would put into the formula, it would always come out with a result that was about one and a half, two and a half, sometimes three and a half times Mm -hmm. total compensation. So, you know, in my striving for parsimony, I finally had to admit defeat and say, all of these Academic formulas are completely useless. The right and best estimate is one and a half to two and a half times total compensation. Uh-huh. Um, and so if that's you look to
2: the literature, it. you'll find similar <laughs> estimates. Imagine that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that makes sense. A yeah. lot of smarter people have probably arrived at that conclusion before I did.
2: And in addition to like the monetary cost of replacing people, training new people, you know, recruiting new people, there are also some of those costs on the existing workforce that we care about as good psychologists. So um, when people leave, it increases the stress of the people right. who stay. They and to...
0: decreases morale. Yep, there's
2: yep. Uh, cultural impacts. Um, it can impact teamwork if you lose a core member of your team. Um, and also safety of your surroundings if you're in a manufacturing environment and you're missing a team member um, that could lead to higher safety risks. So let's
0: talk about the causes of turnover. I know that, you know, we talked about like the different kinds. We um, can talk about like, indiv- like from the individual perspective um, and the organizational perspective and then the external causes. I'm sure those are the three points that you guys were going to hit when talking about this. Yeah, Yeah,
1: Amber. Apparently, (laughs) we found our turnover expert in the room. I've got nothing to
0: say. Or or perhaps I got notes from a turnover expert and did a little reading.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why somebody might quit their job. It could be, you know, that they've accumulated this dissatisfaction over time and something happens and it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. Or it could be a more immediate decision. They have a bad interaction with their supervisor and they're out the door. So um, the path to turnover is different for a lot of people and there's no just one path fits all type of approach. So we've kind of categorized it into those three buckets that you mentioned, the individual drivers, the internal drivers, and then the external drivers. Um, And the impact that each of those have will vary depending on other factors or situations um, that are occurring within the organization. Do you want to give some examples of like the internal, what the internal means?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, you know, it's this is where I always think about that often cited mantra uh, that, you know, people don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. Um, you know, uh, I. Uh, that's where, where, where we see the impact of maybe a dysfunctional manager or something within the organization that leads to the dissatisfaction and the reduction in commitment that causes somebody to seek alternative employment. So that would, those are the internal factors, but you know, there, there are a lot of them and I'm sure we'll, we'll go in, into them. Uh, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I think that it's a good way to think about turnover that, you know, people leave, do leave for a variety of reasons. Uh, and in, in particular, as we'll talk about today, I, I imagine, uh, the things that happen outside of the organization impact the way I feel about my membership in an organization, the things that imp- happen within the organization impact the way that I feel about my membership within an organization. And then there are factors that are just related to who I am as a person. And whether or not I want to be in any organization, the organization I'm currently in, et cetera. So, you know, the factors that make me who I am, the factors of the organization that I'm a member of, and then other things outside of the organization all sort of combine together and lead me to a decision about whether or not I want to stay or leave the organization.
0: And when we're talking about, like, the factors outside of the organization, we're talking about things like um, the unemployment rate, competition job you know the job market like in the locality in the surrounding area things like that
2: reputation of the Mm -hmm. organization
1: yeah i mean in 2009 it was awesome to consult with organizations around turnover Mm -hmm. because everything i did worked nobody was leaving organizations all of the tests ultimately led to no turnover right and Clients didn't come to me and talk to me about, oh, we've got these terrible turnover problems. Uh, and, and it was a function not of my test, not of who people are, not of anything that was going on inside the organization. But rather, in the recession, there were just no other jobs. We had unemployment rates above 10, which were unprecedented in this country. And nobody was leaving their job. So us as selection practitioners, you know, it was easy was easy because we just didn't run into turnover. Well,
0: and and currently we've talked about this probably at length in the last, you know, in our first five, our last five and our first five episodes of this podcast, but you know, it's come up every single time, but you know, the unemployment rate is at an all-time low right now. So how does that, it has the opposite then effect really on turnover, right? Mm
1: -hmm. It does. It does. Uh, You know, when we talk to Let's say, for example, uh, there have been times when unemployment rate has been low in the past, other cycles. I remember uh, in the early 2000s, unemployment was uh, pretty low, not as low as it is today. But I was working for, am I allowed to say company names? I wouldn't, but... Okay, I was working for an insurance provider uh, that had call centers and and designing selection systems and, and that sort of thing. And at one of their call centers, there was a, a credit card company call center a couple miles down the road. And that, this credit card company uh, wanted to recruit the talent from this organization, this insurance organization, because they had a lot of great training around how to be a good contact center agent. So they bought a giant billboard and put it outside of the insurance provider's office, you know, right across the street, that simply said the name of their company and the fact that their wages were an, a dollar higher. Uh, and, you know, it was a heavily competitive environment, a heavy war for talent. I was just going to say,
0: talk about the war for talent. Right, right, yeah. right.
1: But, I mean, that was a situation where the unemployment rate was, was low, and so organizations were really struggling to get great people, and they were resorting to Crazy tactics, Uh uh, and it worked. You know, it it worked. The turnover was the highest in that contact center relative to any other, you know, contact center in that company. Um, So that would be an example of how the unemployment rate can really impact those external drivers and cause people to leave organizations.
2: Yeah, and I think that just alludes to how important those internal drivers are. So. Uh, employer of choice status would play a big role in those types of situations and does in the current economic climate as well. So things like culture become a lot more important, obviously the pay and benefits that are offered. But if you want to keep that top talent within your company, you want to be a good organization to work for, you want to be an employer of choice or else that top talent will have a lot of options available to them and they may leave if you're not fitting that, their needs or hitting that employer of choice status. And it gets hard to tell companies that we work with um, when we're seeing, you know, their top performers leaving Mm -hmm. for better alternatives. It's hard to tell them, yeah, your culture kind of sucks or you're not an employer of choice. And I'm sure, Ted, you've got a lot more experience dealing with that than I do, but um, it's a difficult thing to consult around, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, it's always tough to tell somebody that their culture is, you know, toxic. Um, you know, uh, but there are a lot of companies. I'd say you know half of them out there have less than average, you know, cultures. Right, that's the way it works. Um, but you know, I, I always sort of think about um, when we talk about external and internal factors that drive turnover. Uh, you know, I, as a psychologist, I like research and, and, and theory and that sort of thing. And there was a theory uh, in the 70s called the theory of reasoned action uh, by researchers Fishbein and Eisen, I recall from my graduate school days. Uh, and it was a pretty simple theory. And it's one of those psychological theories that make you scratch your head because you hear it and you're like, yeah, of course that's true. Did you really devote time, years, effort and energy in coming up with that? But it simply said that people do the things that they do intend to do. Uh, And it was important, because essentially, because it made us realize as psychologists that if somebody has turnover intentions, they're probably going to leave. You know? And where that... And that seems so so commonsensical, but it really comes into play when we factor in these internal and external drivers of turnover. and, And it really comes out why this theory is important. Because you might have awesome external labor market conditions for me to leave the job. And there are lots of opportunities to go to other organizations. However, if I don't have an intention to leave, I'm never going to look. If my supervisor is awesome, if uh, the culture is one that's supportive, if the mission of the organization is something I believe in, I'm never even going to know what opportunities might exist outside the organization. I might, the the unemployment rate isn't even a factor in my consideration because I have no intention to leave. So that's why internal drivers become such a critical factor in determining turnover because once somebody has that intention to leave, they're probably gonna leave. If you treat people poorly, they decide they don't like being a member of your organization, they're going to build this intention. And the theory of reasoned action shows us that if people have that intention, they're probably going to do that behavior. So there's that bit of theory for you today.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought some academic research <laughs> to the table.
1: Uh, <laughs> <no. Fish by laughs> and ice. I can't spell that, by the way. It's spelled very strangely.
0: The uh, Both? Fishbine is kind
1: of <laughs> okay, but Ice and. I, I, AJZ? Like, oh, really? I think there's like a C in
0: there. I never would have guessed that. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So we've talked a little bit about internal and external drivers, and then there's the third source that Ali mentioned there's the sort of individual difference or those characteristics within a person that cause somebody to leave.
2: Yeah, so these are the types of things that we can. Uh, get at with an assessment. So of all the buckets and drivers of turnover, this is kind of the one place where we might be able to really target uh, with an assessment, but it's things like impulsivity, more impulsive people may be more likely to leave a job or less adaptable people. If there's changes occurring in the organization, they may be more likely to leave. So some of those individual characteristics or competencies that people possess that may lead to turnover, but the extent to which they do would vary greatly, again, depending on some of those other internal drivers, uh, specifically, yeah. like employer choice status. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's always interesting to me that, you know, we really, we think about assessments as being predictors of turnover. You know, clients come to us all of the time saying they have a turnover problem, so they need a test. Uh, and when you think about it, I mean, it's always the case when you're trying to explain human behavior, That the cause that is most proximal to the behavior is going to be the most important cause. And so when you think about that, things like how your supervisor treats you today is going to carry a lot more weight in somebody's turnover decision or their path towards turnover than other things that are less proximal or more distal. An assessment is something that is maybe, you know, this day and age, the way the market's going, it's maybe a 20-minute experience where we're collecting data about a person for 20 minutes and we're trying to predict with it behaviors that they might do a year down the road. So one of the reasons that those assessments are relatively lower in prediction of turnover is because they're just so distal to the behavior that you're interested in relative to things like, co-workers that are bullies and, and, and things like that. So it's oftentimes, uh, to me, you know, surprising that we would expect assessments to drive down our turnover. And oftentimes, you know, you just have to talk with folks that want to impact turnover and say, okay, let's put in a play in place, a good assessment that might predict some of those, those turnover decisions. But if we want to be serious about turnover, Let's dive into those factors that are much more proximal to somebody's turnover decisions. Focus there and, and also put in a good assessment and attack it from all fronts. But if you really want to move the needle on turnover, it's always going to be by approaching those problems that are most proximal to the behavior you're interested in.
2: Yeah, just focusing on an assessment or implementing assessment is only hitting like one little slice of the turnover pie as we sometimes call it so the more places that you can target the more you'll see an impact and then i think it's also important to point out how the relationship between an assessment and turnover may be different in different situations or in different Mm -hmm. settings Mm -hmm. so for example what we would expect is that high scores on assessment those people who score high would be less likely to leave the organization or that's the ultimate goal that we would like to have and if you think about a company like google Um, or Amazon that, you know, has all these cool perks, has a great culture, has good pay and benefits. That might be the case when you're hiring people who score really highly on the assessment. They may stick around because they're at a great organization. But if you're working for an organization that has abusive supervisors, that doesn't pay you well, that you work all kinds of crazy hours, then those people who are scoring high on your test may be more likely to leave than those people who are scoring towards the middle or the lower end of the test, just given the culture and status of the organization that they're working for. So whether or not an assessment will be effective really depends on some of those other factors that we've already talked about.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's that old joke about psychologists that anytime you ask them a question, the answer is always, it depends. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those places that It really is a complex problem. And if you think about our discussion so far, that's really what we're saying. You know, does the high on or I'm sorry, the low unemployment rate in the the current market cause turnover? Well, that depends. Is the internal factors or the internal factors uh, set up in such a way that it caused somebody to have that turnover intention and look for alternatives? So no. The the low unemployment rate doesn't cause turnover. It depends upon the presence of other factors. Likewise, as Ali's describing with the assessment, is an assessment going to cause turnover? Well, that depends upon whether or not you're an employer of choice or the nature of the relationship between the assessment and turnover is going to depend upon whether you're positioned as the employer of choice in your local labor market. Uh, You know, turnover is a complex problem hard nut to crack
0: (laughs) as a facebook relationship status it's complicated (laughs)
1: exactly i don't know what that means (laughs) well that's okay
0: (laughs) so how how do we begin to tackle those problems and you know Mm -hmm, crack mm -hmm. that nut
1: yeah yeah let's let's crack that nut i mean i mean i think there are a couple of ways to think about it i think one of the things that we have perhaps been remiss about is talking just in terms of assessment. Uh, So there are other components of a selection system that probably do carry a little bit better prediction power uh, in some situations than an assessment.
0: Uh Um,
1: So if we think about, again, this notion of internal drivers being a more proximal determinant of somebody's turnover decision, maybe it would be wise when we talk to candidates to talk to them about what the status is on a lot of these internal drivers and see how that matches their expectations.
0: This kind of goes along with, we had a a podcast a couple weeks ago on interviewing for motivational fit. Ah, yes.
1: Well, that was a very relevant podcast to what I'm discussing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, but sort of giving, um, I know some people use realistic job previews as Mm -hmm. a way to kind of combat turnover, to give candidates an idea of what they're getting themselves into And I think sometimes organizations want to paint the most positive picture possible Mm -hmm. and only show the good things about working at their company or the good things about the job. But in order for an RJP to be effective, it needs to have that realistic um, piece of it. So you have to highlight both the pros and the cons of working at your organization or in the role so that individuals can get a feel for what they're getting themselves into. And then in some cases, they may self-select out of that knowing that they won't be a fit. So you kind of can get rid of who may wind up being a turnover, um, a case of turnover down the road before they even enter the organization.
1: And that's that's a really hard uh, concept to grasp. And sometimes it feels counterintuitive, particularly in labor market conditions like we're in today. And I think that that statement needs a little bit of explanation because uh, when the selection ratio is so disproportionately against you, meaning that you have very few candidates over the number of positions that you have. Uh, Logically, an employer feels like they need to sell the organization to you. But at the same time, that employer is also the employer that has turnover numbers that they can't live with. Right, so they find themselves in this chicken or the egg scenario, and don't understand. It, it's a hard thing. I mean, this again is a complex problem. It's hard to understand what, how to position the organization to job candidates because if you just sell the benefits of membership in that organization, you're likely not going to be screening people on whether or not, or not they're going to stay, and so a lot of people are going to leave down the road, and it just becomes sort of this, you know self-feeding mechanism uh, where the problem just gets worse and worse and worse. Turnover's going up. I got to sell harder to candidates. I got to get them to say yes to my job offers. They leave at a greater rate and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So I am of the opinion that it's almost always a bad business decision to just sell the benefits of an organization to a candidate without also showing them, Some of the potentially the stressors or the things that are not negative, but real that they're going to encounter on the job. Uh, Because if you don't do that, you're not doing yourself any favors when it comes to retaining that top talent that you've invested a lot of money in joining your organization.
0: Yeah. It's like a marriage. You got to show them the good and the bad before you make that commitment.
1: That's right. That's right. Right. I, I definitely made sure to show my wife all of that <laughs> bad, you know, many times. And I've been married for a long time. And yeah. It works.
2: Yeah. So that's some ways to kind of target the internal drivers, um, ways that you can target the individual drivers are obviously assessment, um, collecting some bio data to see if people are a turnover risk. Have they turned over multiple times in the past? Um, But then again, the way that you use that assessment, you'll want to be careful of. So you may be in a case where you can choose only the high scores, but you may be in a case where you might want to target more towards the center. So people who are scoring more towards the middle on some of those competencies, they may be more likely to stick around.
1: Yeah, and bio data is always an interesting predictor of turnover to me. And, uh, you know, bio data, I always have been fascinated by it just because of its name because it always sounds so fancy and scientific. Mm -hmm. And biodata really is just saying, hey, what'd you do before? (laughs) And then under the theory that, you know, a zebra doesn't change its stripes. Uh, You know, what people have done in the past is probably the best predictor of what they're gonna do in the future in a similar situation. Mm -hmm. And biodata methods of measurement just ask people about what they did in the past, because, you know, they're probably gonna do that again. And that's why on applications, collecting information about past work history is is useful, uh, not in and of itself. I oftentimes believe, but in terms of probing in the interview, I see that you've left these organizations, etc. If somebody has a history of doing those things, if the biodata points to this notion that they tend to leave organizations, they probably are not going to stick around in your organization in the presence of favorable external labor market conditions.
2: Targeting those external drivers is a little bit trickier, I think, than hitting the internal and yeah. individual drivers. Um, but some of the things that we've done with clients who have, who have had these turnover issues in the past is doing a market analysis. So getting information on your organization, but other competitors in your area or um, even across the nation or the globe if you need to, if there aren't that many local competitors, but just to see where you stack up on different things. Where do you stack up on pay and benefits? What are people saying about you um, on places like Glassdoor? What kind of reviews are you getting to kind of get an idea of where you stand on culture? And then you can try to determine the areas that you could potentially improve or where you are excelling uh, on top of your competition in order to try to really push those and to, to get more talent to come in your way. And then also, getting creative with your recruitment strategy. So if you're having a hard time filling roles um, or even getting candidates, maybe it's time to think about looking at different places for your candidates or using different methods to recruit them. So I know we had a person come in um, who was getting creative, like using things like, what was it? Oh, you
0: weren't there. Uh, Were you there? No, I wasn't there. (laughs) You were the only one that was was there. It was
2: like geo... Is it geofencing?
0: Fencing? Geofencing? When
2: yeah. We like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they were using stuff like geofencing, which is
0: <laughs> crazy. Oh, yes, the old geofencing, geofencing
2: <laughs> technique. <laughs> can you explain it? I can't. I can't. Don't, I can't can it. you?
0: Claire's going to explain it's it, It's
2: basically when you um, use... geo so geofencing is when you can use targeted ads on uh, social media and other um, online channels to attract people in a certain area. So if you have an event coming up or something like that where you want to you know, attract people to come... To the event, if it's a you know career uh, fair or something like that, you can use geo things. So we have a, a blog on it I can link to it to learn more.
1: So it sounds very similar to the strategy of putting a billboard up across across the, the street. So yes, yeah. the it, yes, the
0: it's the new you know fangled social media way to do it. Yeah. Really, yeah, and
2: then even things with the manufacturing skills gap, which I know we've talked a lot about it on the podcast, but um, they've had some success recruiting even high schoolers instead of focusing on people in college or um, out of high school they've had you know good outcomes by going into high schools and talking to people about the jobs that they offer and the kinds of things that they would be doing to get those kids excited since you know a lot of times they're pushed the college route.
1: Yeah yeah and I think what you're saying there just kind of reminds me of another interesting intervention that's both related to that skills gap and is in my view, a longitudinal and probably pretty powerful turnover intervention. We work with a large automotive uh, manufacturer in the U.S. and they're struggling to get maintenance workers. The selection ratio is very much not in their favor uh and and as it is the as is the case in throughout the country in the manufacturing sector uh, so at their facility they built a, a, a college essentially to, to teach the skilled trades And it's, I don't know, it's virtually free of charge, if not completely free of charge. And they have anybody from the local community, but really targeting high school students, Mm -hmm. uh, come in and learn learn these skilled trades. They don't have to work for this manufacturer. They can go anywhere they want. They're just acquiring the skills. But if you think about it from a turnover perspective, they're also building this strong sense of effective commitment to the organization because these people are gonna say, holy cow, that organization, just invested time, money, time and money in me to give me a skill set. They, they, they believed in me and I owe it to them because they're thinking about the, we organ- the world, the way that I do, I want to work for that organization. I feel a sense of, of uh, obligation to that organization. So when they hire somebody out of that program, it's likely going to be the case that that person is going to come in with a super high level of commitment and be very unlikely to look for alternatives at any point in time because the organization's got their back so to speak.
0: That's really smart. It's, yeah, it's really
1: smart. I'm sure it's also really expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big risk looking for that long-term play, you know, like they'll see the return on that investment 10, 15, 20 years from now. Uh, so that's a hard investment for businesses to make and yeah. something that's such a slow burn so to speak, but yeah, I think it's not only doing good for that organization, it's doing good for our communities. Right. It's doing good for our, our country. Oh, that's pretty cool. I wish I could say their name, but so I won't. Per you, your advice,
2: get creative with your <laughs> recruitment strategies.
1: You, you were saying, Allie, about what we can do related to these external drivers, and you were mentioning about how that's harder, mm-hmm. and, and and it absolutely is. And you know, I would always like to tell the audience in the podcast that the answer to this problem is to pay PSI select a bunch of money and we'll fix that for you. But obviously we can't impact the the external drivers. Um, We know a lot about the external drivers and we can always help and advise organizations on how to understand external drivers. But one of the things that I always like to point out uh, because understanding those external drivers is so very important to understanding how turnover dynamics happen in your organization. It's so very important to get your head around, Uh, what the the conditions are in those external factors. And there are a lot of resources that anybody listening to this podcast has readily available to them. The Department of Labor website has so much on it around pay and wages across industries, across job titles, broken down at a very uh, specific level. I mean, you can look in any given state at the counties where people are employed, what the average wages are in those industry sectors. So there is a lot of information that's available to anybody who's thinking about turnover about the local labor market and those external factors related to turnover that you can freely get from the Department of Labor and some other resources like that. Public service announcement.
0: I like the old PSAs. Yes, back to your radio days. Yeah, back to my radio days, yep. We've talked a lot about kind of the whole subject altogether and, and what companies can do. I'm just curious, um, what have we done as a company, as consultants, as you know, you know, trusted others to our clients to tackle turnover? What have we done or results that we found in the past?
1: So I was just, as, as chance may have it, uh, looking at a slide deck this morning that uh, had some numbers on it that some of the folks on the team had sent me uh, and I happen to notice that there was a study that Allie conducted on that slide uh, that I actually don't know a lot about, but I think it's a pretty hot off the presses type of finding uh, that for one of Allie's clients where she found a 50% reduction in turnover. So I'm Excited to hear the details of that.
0: That's pretty dang great.
2: I didn't even find it. They told us that they... Even better. We have their turnover data, so it is true. But yeah, so uh, this organization reached out to us in either late 2016 or early 2017, and they were having a turnover issue, and they wanted us to kind of come in and, and dig in and see if we could put our finger on it. They had some theories of what they thought might be going on there specifically pay. They felt that they had a quota system in place for their salespeople and uh, they felt that that was the biggest complaint of the um, the team was just the pay and, and the quotas were un- unattainable. So um, I, along with Alyssa, another one of our consultants, we conducted some focus groups with their leadership and then we had individual interviews with people in the role that we were interested in to try to get a feel for what they were experiencing and what they thought might be driving turnover. Um, They gave us their exit interview data and we also implemented a survey across a few of their positions, just hitting some of the drivers that we've talked about, mainly those internal drivers, things like culture and satisfaction, organizational commitment, um, support from perceived support from the organization, all those kinds of things. And then we reported back to them what we found And while the pay was an issue, it wasn't the number one issue. So we found that other things like communication, the way that they were um, transferring information to the employees was a bit dissatisfier. They would send sort of like these mass emails with information, but the employees didn't know why this was important or how it impacted them. So there was sort of like a gap in communication. There was also um, a lot of trust issues. Um, They didn't really trust that the leadership had their best interests at heart, and uh, they felt that they didn't have a voice uh, in any of the decision making or didn't have a seat at the table. So that, along with the, like other results that we found, we kind of reported back to them and gave them some suggestions for improvement. So how they can better communicate or better relay information, ways that they can, you know, be more transparent to kind of get that trust aspect um, a little bit more positive. And yeah, so. We just, they wanted to launch a round two of the survey just to see where they moved the needle. And we were talking about how, what they've seen since the last time we were there and what strategies they've implemented. And they have implemented uh, a new quota system and they've made some changes in their communication and they have made it an effort to be more transparent. And that were, those were the results they reported back. And that target role, they found that they have 50% less turnover in the past year than they did at that time when we were, when we first came out. So, it's cool and it was fun to kind of tackle the issue from all angles. We also did a market analysis, so trying to, to get a feel for where they stood on some of those external drivers or what things might be most impacting them and kind of took all those pieces and put put the puzzle together and they're they're see, starting to see some good results from from that. So, it was a fun one to do from start to finish.
0: Sounds like you cracked the nut. You kind of cracked the nut, I think. Yeah.
1: Well, and and Crack the nut specifically on a lot of those internal drivers that are most proximal. Uh, so I think this is a good lesson about how uh, if you address those things that are most proximal to that turnover decision, it's going to have that immediate impact and result in huge gains. Um, so, yeah, that that is the way to crack the nut. Yeah. For sure.
0: Well, and it also shows that it's definitely a multifaceted issue. You know, they, they didn't have problems in just one area. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just, it, it's not a one item issue. It's across yeah. like the entire, yeah. I don't know, the entire enterprise. Yes. And
2: with this particular group, it was interesting because they really got behind the product they were selling. They're in the medical device um, industry and they all felt that, that what they were selling was a life saving product for people. So it wasn't an issue with, they don't have enough things to sell or what they sell. They don't, they're not really into or they're not vested in. They really were. So it was just sort of all these other things outside of that that um, were driving them to leave.
1: Yeah. I'm always most fascinated in these types of studies about some of the interesting qualitative things that you learn. So for example, I, I was doing a similar type of project one time for a large software engineering organization. Uh, and they had a a turnover problem. They were in a very competitive marketplace with a lot of technology firms in the area, and there was sort of this drain of their most talented software engineers, and it was sort of like, as as Ali, I think, talked about with the snowball effect earlier on, this, this situation where once some of the key engineers, some of the people that have been tenured for a long time, some of the people that were really important pieces of the culture, once they left, it just started this cascading effect of more and more engineers leaving. And so they called me in and I, you know, did a, did a project. And part of the project was to interview a lot of the exist, the engineers that were still there and almost every, and it it was a long and hard project. We did like 35, 40 interviews with engineers, but almost every single one of them at some point in that interview mentioned the fact that there was a new CEO And that one of the things that that CEO did in his first week was remove the ping pong table from the (laughs) break room. And every single person cited this as important. It became sort of this significant symbol of culture change in a direction that they didn't like. Uh, And so one of the most, the strongest recommendations that I had to this organization was to put that darn ping pong table back (laughs) in the break room because doing so, nobody's ever even going to play the ping pong table. And I would ask the engineers, I'm like, did people play ping pong? And they said, no, nobody ever played it. But by putting it back in, the CEO was reducing the power distance between he and the workers and saying, you know what? I'm going to take accountability for the mistake that I made. I gave you a voice. I'm acting on your voice. And I care about you and our culture. Uh, and and that was probably you know I gave him a whole bunch of theory kind of like that fishbone and ice and junk I was talking about <laughs> earlier. But probably the most powerful recommendation that I had was put that ping pong table back in the room. And and I, I'm always you know it's always interesting to see how people across different organizational levels are out of touch with the other levels in the organization. Another similar study that I, I was doing in a hospital situation. Um, It was part of an organization that had about 25 different hospitals in their system, uh, and they all had reasonable cultures, but one of the hospitals in particular had a positive culture. And when I started talking to the people at the lower levels in that organization, one of the things that they really appreciated was the fact that they didn't have to pay for parking at that particular facility, whereas most of the other hospitals in the system, they had to pay parking garages they had to park elsewhere and walk it's expensive it was a significant drain and I got into the room with the senior leaders of the hospital and we were talking about different project related issues and one of the senior leaders brought up they said you know one of the great things we're gonna do all of our employers are gonna like is we're gonna build a new parking deck so that the parking lot is has a roof in the winter and it's gonna be great and I probed a little bit. I said, so how, how's that going to work? And he's like, oh, well, you know, they'll have to pay a monthly fee, but they're going to be rude. And I, I, I said, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's the <laughs> ping pong table. That is your ping pong table. Do not take that free parking away from them. Um, I still drive past this hospital a lot. They got a parking garage. Oh. So
0: maybe well. it's free, though. Maybe they know. play ping pong up there. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Is it covered? Yeah. It's a garage, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't ping, pong ping pong tables in there. Table would rot or anything. I,
1: think, <laughs> I think it's doable. They could do that. that could
0: I will say that we did have, um, one person that's on our pep squad here really asking, asking over and over again, if we could get a ping pong table. Really? Yeah. And I said, look, well, I'll tell you what.
1: whoever that is, I'm never playing ping pong with that dude. Well no. probably he or she is probably the greatest ping pong player on the it's,
0: planet. It's Paul Glatzhoffer. Oh, I'll play him. <laughs> I'll definitely play him. He probably stinks. <laughs> Wouldn't be shocked. No. But he probably stinks.
2: But I think you made a good point, Ted, when you were talking about working doing a turnover study in an organization that wasn't employer of choice because you can see so much stronger results that way. So If you're focusing on only, you know, one of the three buckets of drivers, you implement an assessment, you might see some turnover reduction. But if you're focusing on hitting all of those buckets, you like I think in one Mm -hmm. of the examples that that you've shared, their turnover went from like 20 percent to almost 1 percent. So when you're really hitting all of those areas, you can really start to have an impact. But there isn't like we've alluded to a one one thing fixes all solution.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting story because it was a, a great success story for for our company in that we implemented something and the turnover went way down. Uh, but it was one of those things where I always was careful to caution them in their interpretation because I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to sleep well at night if I went home after having told this organization, "Oh yes, my test caused your turnover to reduce from." 20, 20 plus percent down to one and a half percent. But it was a situation where they had just built this new, it was a hospital. They built this new, beautiful facility. Uh, it literally sits on the top of a hill and you can see it from miles around. Everybody wanted to work there. At the same time, as, as they were moving into this new facility, they really spent a lot of time working on culture. They saw it as an opportunity to say, we're moving into this brand new facility. We need to put in place a brand new culture and it needs to be a culture of caring. It needs to be a culture of patient centricity that where the patient comes first, not the nurse. Um, and, and they really worked on culture. And at the same time, they also said, well, we've got to make sure the people that come into our organization are going to fit that new progressive vision of how we administer care to our population, as opposed to that old sort of nurse centric approach to providing care. So they selected people that fit the culture. They did a lot of work on the culture. They had this great new facility. And so they were hitting a lot of those drivers of turnover, both distal and proximal Lo and behold, their turnover dropped to insignificant levels, uh, post implementation. In fact, I believe if I remember that result after they had hired 600 people, six months later, only two of them had turned over, uh, I've, I've never seen that result before. That was a fantastic result. Again, not completely due to my assessment, but it played a part. It was a, it was a part of that recipe.
0: I feel like we hit a lot of topics today. Is there anything else that um, you feel like we need to talk about or anything you wanted to um, hit on that we haven't talked about yet? Well,
1: as you can imagine, <laughs> I could I... talk for another few hours if you'd like. Well, yeah. But there's nothing I'm burning to say. <laughs> I'm burning
0: to say.
1: No more ping pong table stories. All right.
0: Well, that's a good story, though. Really. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. No problem. (laughs) All right. So if we don't have anything else to talk about related to bacon jerky or cherry turnovers or turnover in the workplace, we like to finish on travel stories. Um, I know Allie shared a travel story our first episode about cockroaches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Yeah. uh, On a... a, um, Job yes, job analysis trip that she went on. Uh, do you have anything else to talk about today or if Ted you have some so. if you have a really good story?
1: I, I mean there's one in particular that's coming to mind but it's totally inappropriate.
0: So, <laughs> well maybe we shouldn't talk about the inappropriate
1: stories. Um, so I'm just trying because I, I have lots of Have I ever told one that you liked? <laughs> I'm, going, I'm trying to think of a good one to come to discuss. It's travel stories they're hard to think of. Uh, but one of my favorite, I guess this isn't travel as much as it is a client story, but it That's happened okay. in a car while traveling. And one of my favorite clients of all time, truly, I, I was—I I really respected her. I think she was one of the smartest and, and just committed clients that I've had. Uh, she was from Colombia, and, and so she had a, a Colombian accent, which I cannot emulate. I cannot imitate uh, mm-hmm. but, um, she, she's from Colombia, and I was just asking her you know, as you do when you're on road trips and, and you just got to come up with things to talk about. We were just talking about, you know, her upbringing in Colombia, And, uh, I asked her, you know, what types of food you, you eat in Colombia. I'm not very familiar with Colombian food. And she was said, she said, Oh, well, I guess I am going to imitate the accent. She said, well, yes, w- we eat a lot of porn. And <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like horn. I eat horn.
0: And I I, I by I, the way, that's a terrible act. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I said, Well, do you like boil it down? And she's like, No, no, no. I'm like, she's and, and I just couldn't understand it because she keeps on repeating that she eats, she eats a lot of horn. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I'm thinking like, OK, well, you know, the difference between horn and antlers, you know, antlers are bone. Horns are made out of hair. Like maybe there's some preparation of a horn that like, you know, turns it into some mushy stew but i'm i just couldn't wrap my mind around how she's eating horn in in columbia and it literally took me like we got off the topic i think she was frustrated because i kept on questioning like how are you eating horn and then like 10 minutes later as we're driving down the interstate it hit me she's saying corn (laughs) And, like, and I felt so stupid because any human being that would have been in that conversation or perhaps listening to it would have known that she was saying corn the whole time. And I thought it was horn. And I'm literally Can to boil I'm like, it down, I'm like picturing, the, you know, these populations in Colombia like breaking horns off of cows and, you know, like figuring, are they grilling these horns? Like, how's this going on? And, uh, you know, I felt pretty dumb, but that's how most of my travel stories end. I
0: <laughs> I need to go back. What's the difference between an antler and a horn?
1: Antlers are made out of bone, and horns are made out of hair. Really? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: like, uh, like a, a rhino's yeah. horn is, like, compacted hair, and,
0: really? like you said, what? like,
1: nail type yeah. of material, whereas an antler is an actual bone, like it. White tailed deer's antlers are bones growing out of the top of their head. A rhinoceros' horn is like compacted hair and other tissue.
0: What other animals have a horn? Like Co- sheep are-
1: yeah, sheep have horns. Those- Goats have horns. And not antlers. They're not antlers, yeah. Antlers fall off every year. Horns never fall off.
0: Oh. That's another distinction. learned so much today. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about unicorns? Theirs is a horn. I.
1: Yeah, I would think a unicorn is is probably not antler based.
0: That's yeah. definitely hair. Yeah, I love, similarly, narwhal, I
1: think we would, actually. <laughs> I believe a narwhal's horn is not a horn at all. Nor is it an what antler. A, what's a narwhal? I think a narwhal is a it's a tooth. Oh. <laughs> I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a narwhal. I don't know what a narwhal
0: a is. Oh, it's the on. unicorn of the sea. What? Elf? Narwhals well, are the unicorns of oh, the sea. Oh, okay. I didn't know that's what it was called. I just yeah. thought it was, it was a weird thing with a horn. Well,
1: narwhals are pretty much.
0: I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to yeah, look yes. it up. There's well, that, a song. Yeah, there is of. a song. There, there is?
1: is a song. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not an appropriate song.
0: Well, then but... I would say don't sing it. Well, I won't sing it. But I was
1: telling my wife about the narwhal song one time, who who is a school counselor. And I played it for her, and she thought it was cute, and and like a week later, one of her her students in the elementary school, uh, uh, you know, mentioned something about narwhals, and my wife was like, oh, I heard a great narwhal song, and she like pulled it up (laughs) and played it, and didn't know that there was this horribly inappropriate part of this song. Whoops! Yeah, it was, I I think she's kind of still mad at
0: me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've learned so much today. I didn't even know that a narwhal existed. Whoa. Do
1: they? Yeah, oh yeah, but they they're do. They're real. real. They're real. It's things. a real
0: thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Unicorn is not. Unicorns. Yeah, are they're not real. Real, no, but, they're real. No, they're real. You can only I mean, see them. This is what our Scottish tour guide told us when I was in Scotland. <laughs> you can only see unicorns when there's a rainbow, or true. when it's mating season. Well, that. Yeah,
2: or both? Does it have to be both?
1: You got to call them in.
0: Well, and it's not mating season. It's only I think it's only when they're mating, which gets into more inappropriate like stuff. Like they're mating? I think I think that's wow. what he meant. I don't really know, but definitely when there's rainbows, if you, yeah. that's you'll see a unicorn naturally, of, of course.
1: <laughs> well, my daughter was telling me the other day because she drew a picture of like a combo Pegasus unicorn, uh-huh. and she had a name for it. Like there's a specific name for a Pegasus unicorn.
0: So, does the horn come out of the guy's head? What? Was it a pegasus? No, no. a pegasus is a winged horse. Oh, I thought
1: You're thinking. thinking of a minotaur. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a, 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 a minotaur unicorn, but if if, I, if there was a minotaur unicorn, it would probably... And the horn would turn. come out
0: of the guy's head.
1: It probably yeah. would cause There's turnover. A, it would. It would.
0: It would a pegasus, minotaur, unicorn. A man... With, with a horse body with wings and a that horn.
1: There could be girl. Man, it's
0: hard there too. could be. You're right. I'm that was sexist. Yeah. All right, guys. I think I think that's about wraps it up for today. Mm-hmm. We talked so much about turnover and all kinds of fun stuff. Thanks so much. Um I think today was a great discussion. I appreciate I had a lot of fun. i, I... <laughs> like more bacon jerky. Do it. Yeah. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.